Good morning and good afternoon, maybe in some other places. I am Gary Henderson, one of the pastors here at Providence Church. And again, it is a gift and a blessing to stand behind what I would call the sacred desk to uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, I do believe God has a word for us, a word for us. So I greet those who are online, but all who are in this place. Let me pause just to pray for a moment. Lord, would you simply fill my cup? Fill my cup, God. We expect that you speak through dust and clay. You are able. So we count on your ableness in us and in me. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Friends, today is the fourth and final installment of a four-sermon series highlighting mental health. The intent is to bring into light a subject that too often we as Christians do not want to name or talk about. So I want you to put on your seatbelt today. Put on your seatbelt and hold on. We're going to bump for a while, but we're going to land right at the feet of Jesus. Today, I remind you again of what Jesus said. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Allow me to offer a multi-layered and multi-faceted conclusion and takeaway right up front. A conclusion right up front. Healing is connected to naming. Healing is connected to naming. Just let that simmer for a bit as I turn to the text for today. It is an incredible story. For some of us, it is a familiar story, but I urge you to listen as though you are hearing it for the very first time. Allow the story to speak. I believe the Bible will speak to us as, as we listen. And here, Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. They sailed on to the country of the Gerasenes directly opposite Galilee. As he, meeting Jesus, stepped out onto land, a madman from town met him. He was a victim of demons. He hadn't worn clothes for a long time, nor lived at home. He lived in the cemetery. When he saw Jesus, he screamed, fell down before him and howled, what business do you have messing with me? You're Jesus, son of the high God. You don't give me a hard time. The man said this because Jesus had started to order the unclean spirit out of him. Time after time, the demon threw the man into convulsions. He had been under constant guard and tied with chains and shackles, but crazed and driven wild by the demon, he would shatter the bonds. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Mob. My name is Mob, he said, because many demons afflicted him and they begged Jesus to desperately not to order them into the bottomless pit. 
a large herd of pigs were gazing and rooting on a nearby hill. The demons begged Jesus to order them into the pigs. He gave the order. It was even worse for the pigs than it was for the man. Crazed, they stampeded over a cliff into the lake and drowned. Those tending the pigs, scared to death, bolted and told their story in town and country. People went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had been sent, sitting there at Jesus' feet. Sitting there at Jesus' feet, wearing decent clothes and making sense. It was a holy moment. And for a short time, they were more reverent than curious. Then those who had seen it happen told how the demoniac had been saved. Later, a great many people from the Gerasene countryside got together and asked Jesus to leave. Listen to why they asked Jesus to leave. Too much change. Too fast. And they were scared. So Jesus got back in the boat and set off. The man he had delivered from the demons asked to go with him, but he sent the man back saying, go home and tell everything God did in you. So, so they went back and preached. So he went back and preached all over town everything Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. I pause for a moment around this photo. I received it this morning from uh, Pastor Jacob, and I don't know if it was by accident or by, or by divine plan, but about 60 folk from Providence are on the Sea of Galilee today. And this is a view of the east side of Galilee the area of the Gerasenes. I said already that this is an incredible story. Maybe this makes the top five list of weird Bible stories that Pastor Jacob referenced last week when he read an account in the book of Daniel where a mysterious hand appeared on the wall and wrote a message. Personally, I think this reading today makes the top five list. Somebody agree with me and say amen. amen. I don't want to be alone in my count. <laughs> Whatever you think about demons, they were intensely real to the people of Gerasa and to the man whose mind was deranged. Whatever you think about this story and the mass suicide of pigs, it was real because the whole community witnessed it. This man in this story was ill. And in his illness, he met Jesus. He had a violent case of insanity. He was too dangerous to live among people, and so he lived among the tombs in a cemetery. Most likely, the cemetery held a series of either natural or man-made caves where the deceased were laid to rest, and the people believed that it was the dwelling place of demons. The man lived 
in the cemetery, among caves. It was an incredible story. And it's an incredible story, even a weird story in our hearing today. Well, let me say this. There was no language for mental illness 2,000 years ago. But when behavior patterns became strange and abnormal, the early presumption was that such a person was no longer in self-control. They believed that such a person, as the man in our text, had fallen under the adverse influence of some other force or being. The controlling power was then seen as evil or demonic. I, de I defined a few weeks ago in confirmation class evil this way. Evil is anything that distorts the plan and purpose and image of God. Clearly, this definition fits the scenario today. The man is running around stark naked in a cemetery among caves. He has lost his dignity. He has lost his self-control. He's been rejected by community. The treatment method had been to bind him with chains and fetters. Sounds like a modern-day straitjacket to me. He had been tormented by those around him and feared that Jesus would do the same thing. When questioned by Jesus, he reveals that his name is Mob. I like what other translators of this text say. They say he revealed that his name was Legion because there was a lot of stuff going on inside of him. There were multiple personalities and many destructive forces at work. His mental health deteriorated because he was battling with inner demons. Let me repeat that. His mental health was deteriorating because he was battling inner demons. My friend Amy, who's married to a pastor, gives langu gave language to me some years ago that I've held on to because her language is so descriptive and not too diminishing at the same time. She has a particular phrase to describe peculiar and unusual behavior. Her language also describes peculiar and unusual people. Amy, I believe, would say about this man in the text, he's a hot mess. <laughs> the lunatic in the story is a hot mess. When I hear Amy say that, I hear underneath her expression that there's, there's something else going on there. We don't know what it is, but there's something else going on. I describe messes, misery, and sorrow side by side. You see, even today, especially today, homelessness is often one of the residual effects of severe mental illness. 
the man had worn clothes for a long time, nor had he lived at home. Destructive habits, personal trauma, obsessions were plaguing him. His inner demons were controlling him and he lost his way. Oh my, I think I'm coming to us now. I see value in this story for our edification, for our enlightenment, for our improvement, for our understanding, because I see myself in this story I see us in this story. I see you in this story. Because when we are honest with ourselves, we contend with inner demons. As we contend with them, we begin to name them. And as we name them, we confront the destructive habits and personal trauma and obsessions that plague us. Though it is not easy to admit, and I know I'm right here, even without a scientific study, all of us have inner demons. Whether it's an addiction, some sort of trauma that you're dealing with, repressed memories, fear of failure, low self-esteem, we deal with things that are toxic. And they eat us, eat at us from the inside out. The word demon encapsulates and describes the negative presence of things. The unresolved residual and trauma can be a powerful inner demon. When I hear, maybe when you hear, that there's a tornado warning, there are flashbacks to Mount Juliet, to home, and the trauma of a devastating moment. Perhaps you don't experience heavy rain the same way because you remember when our community, when it rained and it rained and it rained and flood was the residual and there was devastation, the rain, the flood is a trigger. It seems like political unrest and upheaval is everywhere. And if we turn on the television, no matter the network, if we listen too long, we hear stories of an erosion of trust in legislative bodies, and we become concerned about our future. Oh, there are too many census killings. Too many. Too many. Just this week, Death, a mental health, a mental health episode on a subway in another city, and the outcome is the death of a man who was in crisis. Atlanta medical facility carrying out everyday business, 
trauma on every side. Some of my personal trauma as I begin to think about Gary Moore is awakening as a child to the sound of an assassin's bullet. Oh, I can remember that night so clearly, though I was only six. The aftermath of death by suicide over a 20-year period of two friends who were as close to me as brothers, I still live and process all of that. All of the aforementioned can lay a heavy burden upon the human psyche. But if you don't see yourself yet in this story, let me offer a few markers of how you will know if you are dealing with inner demons. You ever feel like there's a dark cloud hovering over your head? It's a common descriptor of depression. I was reminded just a week ago in a short clip in the news of the anniversary of the death of Naomi Judd by suicide, just days before receiving a significant country music award. I don't know the whole story, but this much I do know, people who do harm to themselves in that way are not in their right mind. Something's going on. If you feel like something isn't right, then maybe it's the way that we can talk about anxiety. Anxiety persists and it is relentless and it can keep us up at night. If you have a nagging sense of shame behind all that you do, you are self-conscious, you are easily embarrassed. You know, body shame is on the uprise in the culture. If you are afraid, so afraid to fail that you don't even try, that kind of fear can keep you from going forward. That sort of, sort of fear causes us to hide. If you feel like your brain is a bully, what do I mean by that? Crippling worry, doubt and insecurity. It's all in my head. I can't get it out of my head. I'm not good enough. I'm never good enough. While we can detail the battle with inner demons. We never discount the spiritual aspect and domain. The Apostle Paul in the letter to the Ephesians wrote, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We name the symptoms we can see. While being clear that a spiritual battle is going on. As we turn the page in our series on mental health, Chris Hodges in the book, Out of the Cave, describes another dimension of what I would refer to as inner demons. He describes comments 
and comparisons. He writes, they used to control me. See if you identify with this language, comments and comparisons, likes and followers, tweets and reposts. If none of that makes sense to you at all, talk to somebody under 40. <laughs> Maybe under 50. Something about social media always left him feeling uncomfortable. It soon led to the comparison trap, which is a slippery slope of comparing ourselves to others. They got a new house. Mine is 40 years old. The car they drive is, you know, that really nice one that costs more money than I can spend, and I have a... I don't think anybody, anybody drives a Yugo anymore. <laughs> you get the sense this, this comparison trip always leaves us in this place of feeling like something is missing. Chris Hodges says, it's a slippery slope. I say to you today that comparison affects our mental health. He writes, when we compare ourselves to other people, whether our ancestors, our nemesis at work, the person we admire so much on Instagram, we get depressed. And the comparison trap always ends up reinforcing the same conclusion. We are never good enough, smart enough, wealthy enough, attractive enough, powerful enough, or special enough. Hodges details this malady in this way. We compare our weakness to others' strength. We assume the worst about ourselves and the best for others. We focus on our deficits rather than our value the partial view of someone else, and the comprehensive view of myself. You see, I know all about me, but only a little bit about you. We fall into the trap of self-labeling. What we do and what we have done is who we are. I'm a quitter. I don't follow through. I can't do anything right. It plays like a script in my head, and it's a label that I wear. We assume that everybody's life is better than ours. I don't know about you, but I, I love the, the best life portrayals on social media. You know, the biggest family dinner with the most folk, with the best menu, the most exotic vacation, the 18 things I did on vacation, the wonderful, con I went to Taylor Swift. I didn't really, but some of you did. Perhaps even you posted it. It's a best life moment. It's easy to see the best life moments, but it's only a small glimpse of the whole story. I sum it up this way. 
FOMO. The fear of missing out. Somebody else is doing something that I'm not. Experiencing something that I am not. Achieving something that I am not. Their children did something that my child is not doing. The fear of missing out. FOMO is a premier inner demon. And it is a a debilitator of mental health. I deleted my Facebook app from my phone one week ago today. It's a true story. I'm still measuring the effect. I'll admit I've sensed a little bit of withdrawal. And even last night, I felt a little bit left out. As Gwen said, did you see? And she began to fill in a detail of something going on that was pretty exciting that she was looking at on Facebook. And I couldn't say, yes, I did, and I got one too I can tell you about. I'm not sure if my deletion of my app is permanent or temporary. I'm not sure if my feeling of withdrawal is permanent or temporary. Time will tell. Stay with me a bit while I try to connect the dots. Because I left something simmering that I want to bring to a boil now. You know what a pot's like simmering on the stove? Some of you cook. Men, don't wave your hand. I know men cook too, all right? Don't laugh like that. (laughs) I left something simmering, and I want to bring it to boil. Here it is, the conclusion I offered early. Healing is connected to naming. Notice what Jesus does when he meets the naked, psychotic, demon-possessed man. Jesus asked the man his name. He asked the demonic spirit to identify itself. Jesus forced the destructive thing in the man into the light. It could not hide in him or in a cave any longer. His inner demon came to the surface. Let me come closer to Gary now. As I come closer to Gary, maybe I come closer to you too. About 10 years ago, I can date it because I journaled this moment. I began to acknowledge a dis-ease. That's a play on the word disease, all right? I began to acknowledge a dis-ease in me. Family life was great. Life and good was general. In fact, I would describe it as excellent. But I felt like something was wrong that I could not name. I couldn't put my finger on it. I felt like there was something in me that was unaddressed. Life was good and all seemed well, but there was a haunting, notice that play, the haunting, a haunting feeling inside of me. The feeling nagged at me and it would not go away. There was no crisis moment. 
There was no catastrophe, nothing terrible happened, just a general feeling that something, something was unresolved and discovery was in store. I was a hot mess. Finally, after about two years of procrastination, any procrastinators in the house? Oh, I know you're here. On Monday, December 7, 2015, I called a therapist. And I began a, thera a therapeutic journey that changed my life and is still changing it. I remember painting a word picture for my therapist. And in my word picture, in my mind, I'm, I'm standing in a hallway that is dimly lit. And as I can see myself standing in this dimly lit hallway, at the end of the hallway, almost like one of those horror movies, there's a door. And it's a locked door, and there's a padlock on that door. But even as I looked at that locked door with the padlock, that locked door was extending an invitation to me. I said to my therapist, I want to go down the hall. I want to unlock that door. I want to turn on the light in that dark room because there's some scary stuff in there that belongs to me. And I want to look at it, touch it, feel it, know it. I didn't know it eight years ago, but what I described was my own cave. My image with my therapist was so accurate because in that room, I discovered a host of inner demons. With the help of an excellent therapist, I began to name them one by one by one. I examined each one carefully and I held it up to the light of Christ and I prayed over them. I wept, I repented, I rejoiced, I tarried, I did not run away, I released. I found healing that I didn't even know that I needed did not even know that I needed. In the light of God's presence, my eyes were open so that I could see. My healing was connected to naming. Don't be afraid to name your stuff because you're not that unique because the stuff you name there are four people around you right now that can name the same stuff if they dare. Most importantly, I experienced the liberating love of Christ and began to see me differently. I began to see the world differently. I began to see my connection to the whole differently, the connection to the rest of us in a way that increased my capacity for love and service in Jesus' name. I am the better for the journey and to tell you the truth, I wonder what took me so long. Like the liberated man in the story, I cannot keep what God has done a secret. I've simply come home today, home sermonically, to tell you how much God has done for me for Gary 
Ray, as my mama used to call me, because my twin is Valerie Faye. All right, I don't want to hear that repeated, okay? But I want to reassure you that though you may be a hot mess, though you may be a hot mess, can I say I feel some hot mess right now? God can be trusted with your mess. But there's good news. Because in the church of Jesus Christ, we have people. We have people. We have people to care for us. Just look around. We have people who will protect us. Think about it. We have people who will pray for us. Do not discount prayer. Part of your redemption and part of my redemption is related to the prayers of people that we don't even know are praying for us. All over your community, maybe all over this nation, there are family members and people that are praying for you that you will never, never know. But those prayers make a difference. Those prayers release power that offer healing and possibility for our futures. Part of your redemption is because intercessors are praying. We do not know what could have happened, that should have happened, that did not happen because somebody was praying for us. You see, I still believe that demons tremble at the sound of the name of Jesus. I still believe that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because God ultimately and always is on my side and I'm surrounded by my people. My people care for me when I'm down. My people care for me and hold me up when I fall. My people don't judge me. My people love me. My people embrace me. My people help me to know that I am never, never alone. Do you have those kind of people? I believe the Lord of the church is asking us to name our issues. Do so without fear. I believe the Lord of the church is inviting us to open locked doors. I believe the Lord of the church wants us to go through locked doors and hold up the stuff, those inner demons that we've been locked, had locked away and hold them up to the healing light of his presence. Elijah, in a moment of depression and fear, hid out in a cave. Yeah, he did. There's some cave dwellers in the room today. The man possessed by many demons and possessed by many, many inner demons and devils and living in cages, in caves, heard Jesus' voice, heard the invitation. The invitation in the naming is to come out of the cave. Come out of the cave. Why? Because there's light shining 
outside the cave and we're invited to come and stand in the light of Jesus Christ and be healed. Will you dare to come out of the cave? Will you dare stand in the light? I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. Can I say I double dog dare you? <laughs> the word of God for hungry people today. Amen.